Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Mother Good Podcast. Today, we're going to do things a little bit differently than we usually do. Besides having a guest, Lauren and I are just going to have sort of like a coffee date type chat between two friends. And we're going to discuss the all-important topic of can moms really do it all? Um, I know that there's so much debate about it, but recently... It was brought to light even more after Michelle Williams gave a recent Golden Globes acceptance speech. And I'm just going to play the clip. I'm sure you've all heard of it. Um, But just in case anyone hasn't heard it yet, I'm just going to play a short little clip from it. And I'm also grateful to have lived at a moment in our society where choice exists because as women and as girls, things can happen to our bodies that are not our choice. I've tried my very best to live a life of my own making, not just a series of events that happened to me, but one that I could stand back and look at and recognize my handwriting all over, sometimes messy and scrawling, sometimes careful and precise, but one that I had carved with my own hand. And I wouldn't have been able to do this without employing a woman's right to choose. Okay, so that was the clip from... Just last month, Michelle Williams, she won won a Golden Globe. And we just want to kind of break it down. Her speech, obviously, she was basically saying that she couldn't have, quote, done it all if it wasn't for her right to choose. So basically implying that like children get in the way of dreams or whatnot. And then also, it's just sad that everyone applauded after that. So maybe, Lauren, you want to give your thoughts before we can dive into uh, the rest of this topic. I think we're pretty much on the same page there that it's pretty sad that, you know, all of the most important figures in Hollywood applauded over this instead of as people who hold a lot of power and influence encouraging change in this area in terms of policy and society's perceptions of motherhood and fatherhood. We, I guess in this episode, would really like to discuss this complex issue. We don't want to be negative about it, but we want to share what we believe is kind of the realistic raw truth while still maintaining some degree of lightheartedness and positivity. And just to clarify too, for this episode, as our our platform in general, we support women who choose life and not abortion. We don't support abortion because it rejects motherhood and destroys children. And our platform is all about supporting mothers and While we don't judge someone who has gotten an abortion, um, such as Michelle Williams, if that is the case for her, we do want to support women in choosing life for their children. And we believe that you shouldn't have to destroy your children in order to pursue the life you want. So um, that's kind of our frame of mind going forward in this episode, kind of providing a balanced perspective between destroying your children to pursue your dreams and giving up all of your dreams to only take care of your children. We believe there's at least some sort of balance that can be achieved. That's the perfect way of saying it. Yes. So just keep in mind that we are pro-life organization. But because of that, that doesn't mean that we're just going to take, you know, the complete opposite. Uh, We're going to say the complete opposite of what Michelle Williams has said. So I know a lot of people's response to what Michelle Williams acceptance speech has said is that, uh, you know, motherhood and dreams always go together. 
And always is a is a big absolute word. So I don't know if we can necessarily say that they always go together. But just as Lauren said, that this is a complex question with a complex answer. So we're not going to give any absolutes in this episode. We're just going to provide some context of what the reality is. And then I, I've been reflecting a lot about why we as humans try to see things in black and white terms. You know, if someone we don't agree with, for example, Michelle Williams, we might be uh, you know, mortified that she said what she said and then got all this applause. I think the natural human ex- uh, response to that is just to have the complete opposite response is just say, no, you know, babies and dreams go together all the time. But life is so much more complex than just a black and white answer like that, you know? So as much as we disagree with what Michelle Williams said regarding ch- choice, there is sadly some truth in what she said when it comes to whether or not women can pursue their dreams while having children. Um, But hopefully, you know, as we flesh everything out in this episode that, you know, maybe we can inspire some change in society and or in the hearts and minds of women. So and a little bit about myself, I know that I said in the intro that I'm an attorney. So I went to or I graduated from law school rather in 2012. And I was single for, gosh, at least five years after that, single in terms of, you know, I was dating, but I, you know, I wasn't married, obviously, and then didn't have any children. And then once I did have a child two years ago, my first daughter, I realized that doing the whole working mom thing while being especially an attorney, I was in litigation at the time, wasn't something that I wanted to do. You know, that's something that other moms might want to do. But at least for me, that's something that I didn't want to spend so much time. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But I experienced firsthand once I had my daughter, the whole concept of whether or not moms can, you know, do it all. So and sort of similar to Emily in the sense that our kids are the same age. I have a two year old um, as well, but I kind of took a different path. I got married a bit younger. I think I was 24. And then I started medical school at 26 and have kind of been juggling the med school and motherhood and being a wife thing. So when Emily and I have this conversation, it's really coming from a place of being in the thick of making these decisions ourselves and living this life. So uh, there's the way that we're doing things, um, which is different, by the way, is completely different than the choices many other moms make. And in this episode, I think we're going to give a lot of examples of different types of moms who've made all kinds of different choices. And we're going to share some clips from some of our listeners and followers on Instagram who have shared a little bit about their perspective on this issue. So I think it'll be a very diverse conversation in terms of perspectives. Um, And we just wanted to emphasize throughout this episode that there is really no one right way to be a mom. And as long as you're happy in what you're doing and you're fulfilled, you're making a good choice for your family. I want to get now into the definitions of, you know, what is basically like a dream and then what makes something more or less difficult. I know that on Instagram, we pose a question of does being a mom make it easier or more difficult to pursue your dreams. And because of that, I think it's really important to make sure that we define what dreams are and then what easier and difficult is. Uh, Since everyone kind of defines dreams differently, you know, maybe becoming a mom is your dream. So of course, like becoming a mother, yeah, it's going to be really easy to pursue your dreams. And then also, I know sometimes a lot of us don't like to say 
the negative of motherhood because we don't want to bring that out or just even bring it up. So I'm going to play this clip from one of our listeners, Darianella, and she's just so eloquent in what she says on this whole concept of definitions. So I'm just going to play it for you really fast. My name is Zarianella. I live in Northern Virginia. I have four children, ages nine, eight, six, and a two-month-old. I think that once you become a mom, that does not mean that you can stop um, having dreams. You can stop pursuing dreams. Uh, I will be careful of uh, using the word difficult because the word difficult has a negative connotation. I think that... Uh, Once you become a mom and you have other responsibilities, it's just a matter of being more strategic when it comes to planning and figuring out when is the right season, when is the right time to pursue certain dreams and goals. Um, I, I am a firm believer that having dreams makes one a better human being, a better person, a better mother, a better wife. I really like the point that she made there about the, again, like what words you use that difficult can be a negative connotation. Also, I like that she says that it is important for women to have dreams because that does motivate them in their life. Uh, so those are just great points. So thank you, Darianella, for that. I think going forward, we're going to, at least for purpose of this episode, we are going to use the words easy and and difficult only because that's just kind of like the easiest way to drink, I guess the simplest way to kind of break it down. I do understand that it isn't is kind of like a negative, it can be negative. So but we'll be we'll be careful with trying to make it more positive. So I just wanted to bring up a poll that we that we gave all of our listeners of we asked them, you know, is pursuing your dreams after becoming a mom easier or more difficult? So 83% of you said it's more difficult and 17% of you said that it's easier. And what's interesting to note about the easier though, that a lot of you who said that it was easier, again, didn't want to necessarily talk about the difficult because it was negative or the easier because your dream was to become a mom. Some women really did feel empowered and becoming a mom um, was like one of their empowering moments in life, which this is um, evidenced by one of our listeners, Kyle, who sent in a clip. And so I'm going to play that for you as well. Hi, everyone. My name is Kyle and I'm from Austin, Texas originally, but I'm currently living in Norman, Oklahoma with my husband and my one-year-old son. He has made it easier for me to pursue my dream of becoming a flower farmer through um, through the gift of of how how my whole labor went with him, and I was able to have all natural um, labor with him, and I really wanted to. So it was such a gift, um, yeah, from God that I was able to do that um, because it really showed me that. My body is so strong um, and it can do so much, but my mind was lacking. And so I really spent the first year of um, Liam's life really in prayer about strengthening my mind. And that made um, that made it possible for me to really just go for this dream with my husband's support. Praise God. And 
Um, now we are currently looking for land. We're so excited. Um, we're looking for land for our flower farm and we're just, we're ready to pursue that dream. And, um, we're just excited to raise our family out there. And really, um, we really want to instill the obedience to wake up and do something meaningful every day of our lives as a whole family, including our children. I just had to share too, on a, on a personal note, kind of following up to what Kyle just shared. I think that's a really beautiful, idyllic sounding goal um, that she and her husband are pursuing. But I I often get asked by my classmates um, who are in the same class as me in medical school about kind of how I manage everything because it's easy to get overwhelmed in the midst of a challenging um, postgraduate education like med school. And I often tell them sort of to my own surprise that I, I do feel like it's easier in some ways to have a kid or to be a mom and to be in med school because it really forces me to prioritize things in my life and to use my time wisely. So I spend less time goofing off, I think, because I'm motivated by the fact that if I work hard, I get to see Jackson and my husband later. Um, And it really just kind of keeps me on track. And I think, honestly, a big part of med school is the mental difficulty of just keeping your head down and studying and staying on track. And it's really a self-motivated thing a lot of the time. And I think it's been really great for my mental health. So I think um, being a mom, as some of our uh, followers alluded to, can be really empowering and can help you realize that you're capable of more than you think. And it's just such a life-changing moment when you become a mom that I think no matter what your goals are, you do feel stronger after you become a mom for the first time. I think it's good to point out, too, that I know for myself, I I think that that's great that you, Lauren, had that experience. And then Kyle, too. I think that that's absolutely beautiful whenever I hear moms say that and have that experience. At the same time, it's perfectly okay, too, if that was not your experience absolutely, or maybe you're yeah. somewhere in between. You know, maybe some days you're like, wow, you know. Being a mom has really empowered me. And then other days, you're like, oh my gosh, you know, this is not <laughs> empowering. So maybe, you know, all of us are a little bit of both on any given day. Uh, I wanted to play a clip next about uh, that the mental load that comes with motherhood that a lot of moms have, have said and responded to our, our questions about the reason why it, it seems like it's more difficult and that motherhood isn't as empowering just because of that mental load. So I'm just going to play a clip from our listener, Alexandra. My name is Allie and I live in Point of Rocks, Maryland, and I have three daughters. So to me, um, the mental load is a, actually a term that I heard about recently after reading an article, I think from the New York Times, just about how being a stay-at-home mom or being a mom in general is hard um, because of this thing called the mental load. And to me, that's, you know, basically just describing all the things that are floating around in my head on a day, you know, is today the day that the trash has to go out? Or are we running out of toothpaste or toilet paper? Um, You know, who has a doctor's appointment coming up or who needs a dentist appointment? Um, Basically just all the things that kind of fall into the category of what a mom needs to handle or a wife needs to handle. Um, And to me, that can be so overwhelming because I'm an overthinker and it's like I'm already thinking about all these things and having time and the space in my head to think about my own dreams, my own um, goals. Sometimes it's just too much. 
but don't get me wrong. Um, I love being a mom. This was my dream, you know, from when I was a little girl. And so I always feel lucky to be a mom, but that doesn't mean that, um, that's the only thing I want in my life. You know, it's good to have things outside of being a parent. Um, and as I've, you know, now I'm a mom of three and I'm learning that with each, each pregnancy and each postpartum period. And as my kids grow up, you know, I'm learning how I want to be a different woman and a different mom and a different wife and how I want to grow, um, through each of these steps. So I think that's really important to note too. And I think we're going to get into this a bit later in the episode too, but I just wanted to also comment on that clip. I think so many of us can relate to what our listener Alexandra said about the mental load. And I think that's something as women, um, our brains are just really wired for multitasking. So it's something that comes a little bit more naturally to us, even if it is exhausting. But um, I think it's too something that we're sort of socialized to accept that women are supposed to be the household managers, as you were talking about, Emily, with the history of motherhood and being a wife and how that's kind of evolved throughout the last few centuries. Um, I think that's something too that is changing though. And if it's something that um, you look for in a partner or just a conversation you can have with your partner about kind of sharing that load, um, because no matter what you do during the day, we all work hard and we're all exhausted. And keeping up with that mental list is something that does often fall to the women. And I think that's something that doesn't have to happen. So I think that's something we'll get to later, but I just wanted to share that that's definitely relatable and definitely something that is an uneven burden at times. Yeah, we're all all about keeping it real here at Mother Good. So we you know we want to be positive, but then real at the same time. I just wanted to le- read to a, a few of our responses to the polls, uh, just what what people said on the Instagram. So some, um, you know, whether or not motherhood has made it easier, more difficult to pursue dreams. Uh, some people said that they're more inspired. Another mom said, "I'm more motivated to accomplish my goals now." One mom said, well, one of my dreams was becoming a mom, so I also care less of what other people think. <laughs> well, that's a good good response. Another mom said, becoming a mom is my dream. So this was an odd question for me. Again, like getting back to what is your dream? Another one said, my dream was always to become a mom. So how is it more difficult? Uh, some of you said time, guilt, and exhaustion. That's valid. <laughs> time management. Literally only 24 hours in the day, which we'll get to. Definitely a good point. Mom guilt, not enough time in the day. You prefer to choose them over you, etc. Lack of time, anxiety of making time for selfish, you know, reasons, or you feel like that they're selfish reasons. Um, and then the other question that we asked was, have you had to give up on your dreams or put them on hold after becoming a mom? This answer was surprising. Uh, well, depending on <laughs> what you, what your thoughts are on the outset of this episode. So 75% of you said yes, that you have had to give up on your dreams or put them on hold after becoming a mom. And only 25% of you said no. Um, but at the same time, what's interesting is that 88% of you said that becoming a mom changed what your dreams are. And only 12% said no. 
So that, yeah, that's kind of interesting to know. So the dreams change after becoming a mom, but at the same time, moms feel like they've had to put their dreams on hold. It's cool to see that there's, at least for our audience, a somewhat shared experience. But as I mentioned earlier, it's such a life-changing thing that it's not surprising that your priorities would shift either. So I just wanted to run down some what I call facts of having children. <laughs> so you know, I, I recently saw... A hashtag on Instagram, babies and dreams, which I thought was a great hashtag. And I, you know, obviously I loved all the responses that I saw. At the same time, it's really important to acknowledge that it is really difficult having children and there are some limitations. So I wanted to have balanced that hashtag a little bit more with the realism of having children. So I'm just going to go down some of the quote facts of having children. So fact number one is that children require a lot of time and energy, as all of you who are moms know, as with anything worthwhile. That's not meant to be negative at all. It's just a fact, you know, that they they require a lot of time and energy. Uh, Fact number two, there are only so many hours in the day. That's also something that most of you have responded with, you know, why that they feel like that they're limited in pursuing their dreams is that there are only so many hours in the day. And recently I found this study, I'm sure you've seen this circulating on social media that said that motherhood is equivalent to two and a half jobs. (laughs) So Welsh's, yes, the grapefruit company actually looked at 2000 American moms of kids between five and 12 years old. And they found that the average mom gets up around 623 a.m. And the mom, quote, mom work doesn't stop until about 831 p.m. That sounds about right to me. So that's a 14 hour workday. That's 98 hours per week. And moms don't get days off, as we know. (laughs) Right. And the average mom gets one hour and seven minutes to herself each day. And the study also said that the lifesavers include wipes, iPads, kids' TV shows, drive-thru meals, coffee, Netflix, help of grandparents, babysitters, etc. So the takeaway from that is that moms need support. You know, So obviously, if we're going to look at how moms can pursue their dreams, at least outside of the household, you know, if being a mom isn't your only dream, which again, we've made this disclaimer <laughs> before, but we're not saying there's anything wrong with that. Um, but given the response of our poll, which 75% of you said that you have had to put your dreams on hold, we're assuming that a lot of you want to do at least something else outside of the house, which is perfectly fine. You know, either way, we're not saying either way is wrong or right. Fact number three, if you spend time, more time pursuing a career, you will spend less time with your children. If you spend less time pursuing your career, You'll spend more time with your children unless you don't sleep, which is completely unhealthy. (laughs) We do do not endorse that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we don't. Yeah, disclaimer, do not not sleep. So (laughs) good. Um, Just quickly on my personal experience, as I said earlier, that I worked in litigation prior to having my daughter. I worked in litigation for two to three years. And um, the thing about litigation is that there was a minimum... Sorry. That's okay. My alarm for bed. (laughs) Whoops, not sleeping. (laughs) Yeah, I'm a hypocrite. Um, Yeah, case in point, not sleeping. Uh, Because we're pursuing this mother good dream. I I was working in litigation and it had a 2000 minimum billable per year, which translates into basically not enough time during the week. And once I had my daughter, you know, I, I, I was so naive looking back. I have no idea why I didn't think this, 
before I had a child, which I know a lot of you have, which is smart. But I, I didn't I didn't even think about that. I was like, oh, yeah, of course. Like, I'm just going to have a kid. I'm going to keep on working. You know, my mom will take care of my daughter, like a different family member. Or I'll just put her, you know, get a babysitter combo, whatever. Keep on working, blah, blah, blah. Then I realized, wait a minute. If I do the same amount of work that I'm doing now, I'm going to see my child like just one to two, maybe three on a good day hours every day. And then I had to reevaluate. And then I realized, you know what? I'm not okay with that. I worked in my professional career already, like, what was it, five years before having my daughter. I just turned 30. I was like, you know, I spent my 20s working. I'm going to cut back a little. So then I went back to part-time. So that was just my personal decision um, and what I had to kind of juggle with that. Uh, But some people, you know, it's they're perfectly fine just continuing to work or, you know, quit completely, which I, I didn't want to do either. So there was a female partner in my firm who worked crazy hours and she ended up missing her child's major milestones, like walking, like she would FaceTime to watch her daughter walk, like take first steps, stuff like that. And I just like, you know, for me, I was like crying for her. But again, that's, I'm not judging her because she was happy. Like she was doing what she wanted. But for me, I just couldn't do it. And I know, um, Lauren, you've had to give give up a lot, too, of your personal life. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that. I actually did a little bit of reading up on this because um, in terms of timeline, I just wanted to clarify. So the way it just worked out with my career and having Jackson, um, I was a career changer. So I worked in marketing for three years before I decided to go back to school and then apply to med school. And I started that journey um, seven years ago now, and I'm now a second-year med student, so that might explain a little bit about how long it takes to really make that kind of switch. And I knew that your 20s and 30s are peak fertility years. And my husband and I definitely wanted a family. And I had kind of a gap in time where I was going to be a little bit less busy for a year. And we thought that maybe it'd be a good time to start a family. Um, So it wasn't something that I intentionally planned, but it just kind of turned out to be the best timing for us. And um, so I'm kind of in the midst of raising a young child and also um, kind of in the thick of getting my medical career started. So I was very curious to read up on this. Um, I did a lot of reading while my son was an infant, especially because um, he was seven months old when I started med school and he's in daycare full time. So um, I did find a really cool article from Harvard Business School. And it basically talks about this article of a large study that was done. Um, it was it was over 100,000 people across 29 countries. And their findings essentially were that um, kids turn out to be equally happy, whether their mom is a working mom or a stay-at-home mom. And I think that's a really important takeaway because women often guilt themselves, even if it even if it's not external pressure or external guilt, women put the pressure on themselves that they're ruining their child if they make certain X, Y, Z choices. Um, and and the article says that women are socialized from a young age to believe that mothers should stay home, at least here um, in our modern society. And so when you separate yourself from your kid every day for work or your kids, it can be painful in a way that I think men don't experience quite as much. Um, But I think this article is sort of good news in the sense that if you realize that your kid isn't suffering and is not going to have 
terrible long-term consequences from your choice, whatever that is, maybe that will lessen the guilt a little bit. And that's something they talked about in the article. Another cool outcome that they found, and that was that sons of working moms were more likely later in their life to spend more time caring for others in sort of a nurturing role, while daughters of working moms were less likely to spend as much time on housework. So I think the end result of seeing that gender balance modeled in their own upbringing um, is that you can even out some of the unbalanced gender socialization that happened at least here in America in the middle class. So I thought that was interesting. It sort of soothed my own guilt about wanting to pursue a career. Um, And that's, again, not to say that stay-at-home moms are doing something wrong because I was raised by a stay-at-home mom. I think it's a wonderful sacrifice or even dream to have for your kids. But I just wanted to point out too that it's a little bit funny if you think about the words working dad. It sounds sort of ridiculous. No one ever says that. (laughs) Well, working mom is a label that moms are given. But I think that also sort of puts dads on the back burner because I think it's okay for them to feel guilty about being at work and spending time away too. So overall, it's good for the conversation to head in a direction of people in general being able to prioritize a family, especially, and a career if that's something they want or need to do. But I think it's important for it not to be as much a conversation about just women, but in general, like we should value parenting in our society, I think more than we currently do. Definitely. And we're going to get into that later. I know about how we as a society should definitely support both working moms and dads. So that's such a good point to make. It's interesting too that you talked about younger children because uh, in a recent Atlantic article, actually, I think it was a few years ago, so it's not so recent, but Lauren just recently sent it to me. I guess I missed it when it was circulating and going viral, but it's called Why Women Still Can't Have It All uh, by Anne-Marie Slaughter. And I guess it was kind of controversial. Lauren was telling me uh, just obviously because of the title and what it implies and everything. But I found it really interesting myself because this woman, I was actually found it refreshing that she was saying that um, you know, she found herself suddenly in a career when her her sons actually needed her more when they were teenagers as opposed to young children, which I found kind of interesting. I wouldn't necessarily have thought that, but I've heard that from other moms too, that sometimes kids just have a really hard time in high school and they, they need their moms more present. So she said that, you know, she'd been telling one young she'd been telling all the young women at her lectures that you can have it all and do it all regardless of what field you're in which means I'd been part of, you know, all by unwillingly of making millions of women feel that they are to blame if they cannot manage to rise up to the ladder as fast as men and also have a family and an active home life and be thin and beautiful to boot. The minute I found myself in a job that is typically for the vast majority of working women and men working long hours on someone else's schedule, I could no longer be both the parent and the professional I wanted to be, at least not with a child experiencing a rocky adolescence. I realized which would have perhaps been obvious, having it all, at least for me, depended almost entirely of what job I had. The flip side is the harder truth. Having it all was not possible in many types of jobs, including a high government office, at least for not very long. So I found that pretty eye-opening, and that's kind of how I felt coming out of litigation. Uh, At the same time, it's really good what you were saying, Lauren, too, that you know, if you do have that type of job that you do have to spend long hours with, that you know that your child will grow up to be perfectly happy as well. So that's good to know. Uh, So getting back to our facts, (laughs) fact number four of having (laughs) children 
If you don't wash your kids, someone else has to. That's just a fact. That could be a family member, which may be free and help you out with the financial aspects, or it could be a paid a paid child care giver, uh, which is very expensive. So the average cost of childcare, not to scare any of our, um, you know, expectant moms out there, or moms trying to, or women trying to get pregnant, because I know we have a lot of those listeners too. Uh, but the average cost of childcare in the U.S. is for anywhere from four thousand to twenty-two thousand dollars annually, depending on location, age of infant, and quality of care. In two thousand nineteen, the average cost of childcare for one infant, according to a Care.com survey at a child care center was $852 per week, which is about $10,000 a year. And 70% of families reported spending more than 10% of their income on child care. And the U.S. government defines affordable child care as no more than 7% of income. Yeah, which is clearly not happening. <laughs> I, again, I had this idealistic view before becoming a mom myself that my child would just play and I could work from home. I know a lot of moms do that and I have send me your tips cuz I, you know, <laughs> I don't know them. I'm like the worst multitasker working and watching my kid and maybe it's just my kid. I don't know. But anyway, um if you're not watching your kids, someone else has to. It's just a it's a fact. So, I'm lucky to have um my mom and some other family members help out um usually um so we don't have to get a babysitter very often. So, I'm lucky at that and Lauren, I know you have some personal experience for this as well. I always kind of chuckle when people ask, like, how do you study and watch Jackson at the same time? And I basically, my answer is that I don't. <laughs> like you were saying, it's um, especially with a rambunctious toddler who constantly wants attention and it's normal developmentally for that to be the case. Um, I don't see how anyone could get anything done. But again, props to the moms who do do that. I think that's amazing. Um, so what what we do um, has sort of been a hybrid. When I first started med school, we had um, my son part-time with my mom. She would come over two days a week, and then we had him in paid childcare the rest of the week. And that worked out pretty well for about a year. And my husband did a lot of the childcare on the weekends because, again, I have accepted that part of what I'm willing to do is to spend less time with my family. As sad as that might sound to some people, um, it's sort of what just makes me tick being able to pursue this dream of med school. And I know that I can make changes in the future if I need to, but that's sort of what happens right now. And for the first year, that's what we did. Um, and then my mom got a job. She herself was a stay-at-home mom for um, like over 20 years. And she was a nurse before that and finally decided, you know, the kids have all left the nest and are grown up. And so she decided to go back into the workforce and get a job as a nurse again. And I was super happy for her, honestly, because she loves working and I think it's been great for her. But that left us with having to pay for full-time childcare, which is not something I thought about initially, like you said, Emily, um, because we live close to family. I just kind of assumed that we would never be in the position as long as we lived local of having to pay for full-time childcare. So what we do now is um, I do take out loans as part of my financial aid package every semester. And while I think we would be able to make it work without that, because we have a great situation. It just is something we've chosen to do to reduce the financial stress 
But we have to put off things like buying a house because of that. So it doesn't come without its sacrifices, I will say. (laughs) Um, And then something I wanted to bring up too that, you know, I didn't think about before um, having to be in a position of needing childcare is, and I've talked about this with several of my friends too, um, even when you do have free childcare, um, it sort of puts you in this position or it can put you in this position of feeling indebted to the family member helping you out. Um, And it can make you hesitate to have certain demands of them, like showing up at a certain time or doing certain things in terms of taking care of your child that you want for them. And it can be a hard conversation to have if it's a family member. Um, I know I kind of struggled with that when my mom was watching Jackson. Um, And the one advantage, I think, to having paid childcare is – they're usually registered and certified and have to adhere to certain standards. Um, and there's that financial agreement. So they kind of have to do what you say um, in terms of your wishes for your kid. So I don't know if that's something you've experienced, Emily, but I know I did. And a lot of the friends I know who are in a similar situation have mentioned that. So there's really no, I guess, easy way out. It's all difficult. <laughs> Right. I definitely have a couple of friends who have told me those situations too, you know, just, you know, family members making appointments last minute or showing up like an hour late or whatnot. And so that that definitely is something to factor into. I'm going to try to, I know we're running out of time, so I'm going to try to breeze through these next <laughs> facts. So uh, fact number five, which is some jobs are inherently more conducive to bringing your child to work and that lower income jobs tend to preclude that. So I'm just going to say, I know that we're judgment free, but I'm going to say one thing that is sort of my pet peeve, or it is my pet peeve. I'm just going to be direct to my pet peeve. Well, people are sharing online that moms can do it all. And they're posting photos of themselves like, see, I can do it all. So all moms can do it all. And then showing photos of like their kids in the boardroom or like their kids at like an important interview that they had and all this, especially like pseudo celebrity moms, um, though, you know, or moms that are, I don't know, Insta famous or whatnot. Um, that really doesn't help all moms because lower income moms, they can't do that, you know? And there's this really tragic story that, you know, not to be a downer. Um, I promise this is the only like really sad story. So fast forward the next minute, if you don't want to hear this, but um, just last year, I saw this in the news that there is uh, a toddler, a three-year-old who was brought, his mom brought him to work because she didn't have anyone to watch him at Tim Hortons and, uh, Rochester, New York, and her three-year-old fell into a grease trap and died. And I was so mortified when I read this and I just, you know, just deeply impacted me so much. And that's why I said that it was my pet peeve when, when moms say that and say, you know, cause I can do it. Everyone can do it kind of thing when they're middle-class have like more of a, like a, a job that's more conducive to bring your child to work because we shouldn't be promoting that because of what happened to this mom. And that's, you know, other lower income moms, they can't bring their kids to work. It's not safe for them, you know? And in 2017, there was even um, a couple, another couple in, in New York who, you know, they brought their kids to the mall and left them on a bench. You know, they're eight years old, six years old, and a one month old because they were, again, lower income workers. They had to go to work, both the, both the mom and the dad, and they didn't have anyone to watch their kids. And so they, they were actually arrested for leaving their kids on the bench. So, Anyway, I know that some moms can, I think it's, I'm not saying I don't think it's awesome when you can bring your kid to work. I think that's great. I just don't think it's great to like say, because I can bring my kid to work that every mom can bring their kid to work and then show that as some sort of like empowering thing. 
But again, I think it's really empowering that if you can bring your kid to work, great. Like, I think that's awesome if you can do that. So anyway. Oh, yeah. I I think the... I think the phrase checking your privilege, it's its not something I'm always a fan of in every situation, but I think this is one of those. Um, if you're able to do that with your childcare situation or you're able last minute to not go into work because your kid gets sick and you're not in danger of losing your job or something like that, um, I think that's an opportunity to reflect on that you are in a good situation and to be grateful for that because not everyone is afforded that or has that opportunity. So as you were mentioning, I think that's something to be aware of when you're generalizing your situation to other people's. Right. Again, so I think it's great when moms can bring their kids to work, but just not when it's used as like an excuse for, oh, like, because I can do it, everyone can do it. So anyway, moving on to fact number six. So every mom is different, a different personalities and backgrounds, different interests, different ways she feels called or drawn to spend her time different in trade-offs she's willing to make. So just as we were saying that, you know, every single mom is going to have a different draw and pull in what she wants to do. Some moms might feel too overwhelmed to do anything else than be a mom. That's, you know, that's fine if that's, you know, if you're perfectly happy being home full time and every mom's circumstances are different and some moms have high paying jobs so they can afford childcare all the time and other moms have lower paying jobs so they can't. Some moms, uh, you know, like myself and Lauren used to have her mom too, have generous family or friends who can provide free childcare or a husband who even watches a kid more. So that, that helps a lot. Moving on to fact number seven, that every type of mom is okay. If you can do it all great, if you can't, great. Neither type of mom is better than the other. It's just different. And I know that we feel, we as human beings feel a little bit strange to be different as much as we like to say that we like being different and celebrate our uniqueness and just be you and all that. But we as human beings, we really like to be the same when it comes down to it. You know, we're like, we're like herd animals kind of. We just like being one and the same. I just wanted to say maybe maybe it's a gut check too if you constantly feel the need to justify your situation or even criticize other people for their choices. Maybe it's time to take a look inside at your own heart and mind and see if you really feel gratified with your choices. Um, and this is my little mini idealistic moment, but I just wanted to get on my soapbox and say that we all only get one life and we're not even promised a full, you know, 80 or 90 years as where I feel like constantly reminded by tragic stories in the news. So you're the one who has to live with your life choices. And I just want to encourage all of our listeners to not to spend your life bending your will to what other people expect of you or what you think you should be doing. And as we're going to keep harping on in this episode, if you are fulfilled with what you are doing, that is what matters. Your kids are, ha- your kids will see a happy mom and that will make them happy. So we talked about the definitions of what it means to have a dream and whether or not it makes it easier or more difficult after having children, the facts of having children. And now we wanted to talk about the importance of having a support system in place. I know that we've been hinting at it and mentioning it throughout this episode so far, but we just wanted to directly say that the main takeaway of Michelle Williams' quote um, and the truth behind what she said was that women do need a better support system and motherhood needs to be better accept- accepted in society. So that part of what she said was true. 
And I think it's pretty much a fact that our society, especially in the United States, I know I thought it was interesting. We actually have some listeners who aren't in the U.S., you know, some in Canada and Ireland and other parts of Europe. So if you're listening and you, you definitely have a better support system than us here in the U.S., I thought it was interesting to note that out of all the um, most wealthiest countries in the world, you know, the top 41, that the U.S. is the only one that does not have or offer paid leave, you know, the federal government doesn't, which is a a really sad state of affairs. And um, just to give one example of a country that does offer um, one of the most generous types of uh, parental leave is Estonia. Uh, They offer 86 weeks paid leave, and it's a high-income country. And it's ranked by the Heritage Foundation as one of the most free countries in the world. Uh, So that's pretty good to know that, you know, a country can still remain, you know, it's not you know, mostly free. And it's not like it's going to be some socialistic country just because they offer like paid leave through the state or whatnot, given these other examples that we have. And another example, I know it's not a country, but California, uh, where Lauren and I both live, they have state paid leave. And California is the, the world's sixth largest economy if it were its own country. So, you know, that's yeah, pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. Having the government pay for parental leave, it actually benefits society. I mean, it's, it's, it seems surprising because you're paying out of pocket, but at the same time, it's not surprising because you're supporting families, which is the foundation of society. And then there's also a lot of companies that offer paid maternity and paternity leave. Some of them are Microsoft, Netflix, Deloitte, Etsy, Adobe, Spotify. Uh, Actually, a friend of mine, uh, her husband works at Deloitte and he gets paternity leave, very generous paternity leave. I'm so shocked. I guess I've read an article that Deloitte is basically one of the companies leading the way in paternity and maternity leave. And they're, you know, obviously all these companies I listed, they're they're doing really well. Yeah. You know, they're not struggling financially. I mean, Amazon, Twitter, Motorola, eBay, like these are all very successful companies. And I was thinking, you know, one of the reasons why that they they probably are successful is that they invest in their employees. And that's something that a lot of companies don't do anymore is invest in employees. I, I know that my grandpa, he worked for Kellogg's back in Battle Creek, Michigan. And Back in the day, you know, Kellogg's supported my my grandparents. They provide generous retirement for my grandparents. Like companies traditionally in the United States used to be very generous to their employees and invest in them and want them to stay at that company, make a career out of it. And it's only recently that companies are just, you know, cut back so much that they don't really want to spend the extra dime or invest in their employees, or they don't even care if their employees really jump ship um, because they don't really value them. So I think that is one reason why so many of these really successful companies do have the paid maternity and paternity leave, because that's why they're successful, because they're, uh, you know, they're investing in their employees. I just wanted to add too that I think it's kind of funny that medicine and healthcare in general is sort of notorious amongst people who are working in healthcare for not providing good maternity and paternity leave, especially for people in training. I mean, I can only speak from my experience, but you know, training for 10 years to become a doctor, it's often during your prime fertility years as a woman. And um, trainees are often given little to no time to even bond with their baby. I mean, I just, 
I met one resident who she was back to work after six weeks, just had a newborn, and she just seemed really depressed about having to be back at work after, you know, only six weeks, which is really no time at all to even recover um, or bond with your child. And I just thought it was really sad because we learn about how to take care of people and we learn what's best for human development and health. And we don't really practice what we preach in the the medical community. And I think we fail to acknowledge a lot of the time that pregnancy is a medical condition. I mean, it's it's a healthy condition, hopefully, but it does come with physical emotional and physical, or it it does come with physical and emotional limits, especially in the first and third trimesters. Um, For those of us who aren't lucky enough to have a symptom-free pregnancy. Um, But, you know, people require special accommodations while they're pregnant and newly recovering postpartum. And I think it's a sad state of affairs that our own healthcare system doesn't support its workers and trainees in having their own families and and doing that in a healthy way. So it just shows that there's a lot of room for improvement, especially here in the United States. And um, I hope I hope as the tide changes with our generation's priorities, um, I think this is something that we will see some improvement on, but I'm being a little bit optimistic, <laughs> I guess, for the future. It would definitely be really nice if our culture and society and every single industry did support mothers in that way. I think that they they think that it would harm them, which it might put a little financial strain in the short run. But just as we were saying, all these very wealthy countries and also very success, successful companies that they, them supporting women and having and fathers and having some sort of paid leave in place definitely benefits everyone all around. Uh, The other thing that's really important as part of this support system is also if companies would have more flexibility. That was actually a response a lot of you said and you gave in your answers that it's really important to have that flexibility in your job because being a mom, you have to be able to work from home sometimes if your kids are sick or whatnot. And I was actually really shocked um, about a year ago, I was actually offered a job by an organization that is pro-life. And I was asked if I could work from home because they were pretty far away from where I live. And I was told that there would be absolutely no flexibility. And that was a business decision. And I I really struggled with this, uh, given that it was a pro-life organization. Um, but at the same time, I realized too, that everyone who was running it had never actually been a young mother mm. yet. Um, even though they were pro-life. And so I thought that maybe it was it was time just for me to just politely give a little bit of education on this. <laughs> and so I just said, you know, it's it's actually a pro-life, pro-mom thing to offer flexibility. Uh it's kind of a little ironic if you don't, because that's really what it means to be pro-life and pro-woman and pro-mother. And I, you know, I said it really kindly, but I was I was really pleasantly surprised that they they actually uh, accepted my, you know, polite criticism, and then later offered the flexibility. So, I just shared that little story too. That sometimes I think that companies and organizations maybe they just don't have the the knowledge yet to actually have realized that for themselves. Uh, so, if you do find yourself in that sort of situation, don't be afraid to give a little suggestive nudge. Um, you know, even if they aren't necessarily 
pro-life or pro-mom organization, you could always approach it from the other angles that we're talking about, you know, investing in your employee and all the other companies that are great companies that offer parental leave. So yeah, and I think a little plug too for anyone who's in a position of power to influence company policy or anything, even on a smaller scale, um, just making sure that even if you aren't yet a mother yourself or it's not even something you're interested in or your kids are long grown and you don't really remember what it's like to be in the trenches, um, I think anything we can do to help our fellow women to not have to choose between their dreams and their kids, or at least give them the option to choose the best situation for them and not forcing them between a rock and a hard place, I think is something that, you know, women are, I think are criticized a lot for kind of being catty with each other. And I think the best thing we can do is support each other in our choices and not make it impossible for someone to choose the best situation for their family. I wanted to play a clip really fast uh, from one of our followers, Christina, and she just talked about how flexibility was a really important decision. Uh, Flexibility in a job was a big factor in her decision on where to work. My name is Christina. I am a corporate real estate attorney in Chicago. I work in-house for a medium-sized real estate developer. When I was planning my career um, in law school and as a younger single attorney, I always hoped or knew that motherhood would be part of my career trajectory. And so I valued jobs that had flexibility and um, more realistic work-life balance. So yeah, that's that's really good that she actually realized that because myself, I did not realize that <laughs> um, when I first started off. So yeah, I think we can end now on the fulfillment and pulling all of our different points together and basically in our discussion on whether or not dreams and motherhood go together we absolutely believe that they do and i guess the whole purpose of this episode was to show the difficulties and hurdles that exist even if that's negative um to some people that they might want to not categorize it that way um but it's important to just throw those out there and recognize those because it it is realistic, you know, and it it does factor into whether or not women um, are getting enough support, you know, since that's part of the equation. And so it really comes down to fulfillment and whether or not you feel fulfilled in your vocation. So it doesn't matter what other moms are doing, you know, you know, that I I work part-time and and Lauren, she's in med school um, and other moms just stay at home and it really doesn't depend. It really doesn't matter whether or not what other moms are doing. You know, it just matters what makes you fulfilled as a mother and what is your vocation as a mother. And something I like to personally apply, I didn't come up with this myself, but the 80-20 rule is applicable across different industries and in different situations. And I think it really applies here too to motherhood and pursuits outside the home or just outside motherhood in general. And The 80-20 rule is essentially that if you're happy with your life 80% of the time, don't be thrown off by the 20% of the time when things are extra difficult. Um, It's my personal belief that anything that is worthwhile will be difficult to some degree. I think 
an easy and unchallenging life um, is completely unfulfilling. And I think some sort of challenge does really get us going as humans. We like to have a goal or something that we feel we're putting our all into to really make us feel fulfilled. And I think the reverse of this rule is that if you find yourself miserable 80% of your waking hours, it might be time to, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, look inside and see if maybe there's some sort of change you can make in your situation. And maybe you're letting outside pressures or just what you think the ideal mom would do. Maybe you're letting that dictate your decisions. And just as a last side note, I know sometimes we can also use our kids as excuses as why we don't do something. I know that we're mentioning all these hurdles that kids can pose, but at the same time, we want to make sure that we're not inventing hurdles that aren't there and giving ourselves some credit that we can actually accomplish our dreams and do something that we do want to do. Actually, one of the clips that one of our listeners sent in about the difficulties of pursuing dreams as a mother, um, Christia, she said something really wonderful on the topic, and we're going to play that now. My name is Christia. I'm from Orange County, California, and I have two boys aged 20 months and four months. Having really young kids so close in age has made achieving dreams a little or a lot more difficult. Um, Practically speaking, between a full-time job and doctor's appointments um, and an effort to be more present with my boys while my husband also finishes his PhD, um, there hasn't been a lot of time for writing and building community, which are two things I really love to do. I think I also worry so much about being a perfect mom and wife um, that I've convinced myself that maybe I shouldn't have other dreams or that my mommy brains turn to mush and someone can do it better than I can or I'm going to get interrupted anyways, so why bother? And I think that mentality has been a much larger stumbling block than the circumstances that will eventually change. She makes a really good point that a lot of times it's our own mental limitations that we put in front of ourselves that can stop us from pursuing our dreams. I I was just reflecting, you know, in preparing this episode on even when I was single on why I didn't pursue certain dreams. And I thought, oh, well, I had some excuses then too, you know? And so I can't just kind of like replace them with my children. So even though we're recognizing the fact that there are hurdles, obviously by those facts that we read and all these statistics, it's like at the end of the day too, you know, even if we are supported and we are able to make it work that we have to make sure that we're not getting in the way of ourselves. In ending, I know that we've talked about, you know, some struggles and hurdles of motherhood and how there's a lot of room for improvement in supporting mothers and just actually promoting a policy in general of supporting families. I wanted to end on the note too of the fact that Lauren and I fully agree, and I think we can all agree on this, that at the very end of the day, even after all of our other dreams come to fruition, that being a mother is the end dream of all of us. I think we can agree that we wouldn't want it any other way and that we are so thankful for every single day we have with our children and that our children are beautiful and spending our lives with our children are beautiful as well. So I'm going to play on that note a clip from Maggie, one of our listeners. Hi there. I'm Maggie from Colorado and I'm a teacher turned homeschooling mom to four little ones. In a world of perfect posts and social media, I think it's easy to believe aspects of motherhood are unattainable. But I love that you all illuminate the beauty of an attainable motherhood. In a world where success is measured by doing, you remind us that our greatest accomplishment is simply being a mother. 
And the community you have created makes it easier for us moms to pursue our dreams because you highlight us within moments of motherhood, not separate from them. Encouraging motherhood to be the foundation and a large part of our dreams. Then you take each of our unique motherhoods to create a relatable community who supports each other's missions. So thank you. We really appreciate it. I think that really encapsulates our mission here at Mother Good and such a beautiful, eloquent quote from Maggie with, I love her kids in the background too. That was just perfect. (laughs) Yeah, that was a perfect addition. Yeah, thanks so much, Maggie and everyone else for sending in your clips and responding to our polls. We really love all of you guys, and we're so appreciative of all of your support and, you know, us pursuing our dreams, and we're, we just want to help support you in your dreams, so that's why we wanted to do this episode, so thanks so much for listening, and, and we'll talk to you all soon.